Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved, New hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. This morning, we may be trying to bite off a little bit more than we can chew. Uh, Going to Romans chapter 8, the heart of Paul's uh, magnum opus to the church in Rome. My name is Greg Ellert. Uh, I am a pastor and missionary with InterVarsity Christian Fellowships Graduate and Faculty Ministries, which is quite a uh, mouthful up at UC San Diego. And I've been invited to share the message with you today. Um, I have many friends here that I see and some who may be online and others who maybe couldn't join us today. I'm so glad to be invited. Uh, My wife and I, my wife Tanya and I uh, were able to come a couple weeks ago. We have three teenage boys, one who is probably whitewater rafting today with the Christian ministry that he's helping lead this summer. Uh, and our other sons are off doing summer things as they're enjoying their 
uh, time with friends and, and uh, cousins in different places. So this, um, this passage today needs a little bit of reframing, a little bit of um, untangling before we enter into it. Um, whether you're someone who's been churched most of your life or whether um, you're someone who's, this is the first time you've come to a worship service or tuned into a worship service, there is much that needs to be untangled and there is much that needs to be reframed before we dive into this. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is Paul's magnum uh, opus. This is the apostle uh, who was uh, persecuting Jews and who was uh, not persecuting Jews, but persecuting Christians as a Jewish leader and who was killing Christians who had come to faith because Jesus appeared to him uh, on the road to Damascus. Paul, in this uh, desire for Jewish and Gentile people, for people who had grown up as Jews and people who had grown up outside of uh, the Jewish tradition, had many contrasts that he would write about. He would write about the contrast between flesh and spirit, the contrast between law and Christ, the contrast between this present age and the age to come. And that, let's focus on that for a moment before we really dive into what he's saying here. In Jewish history, there were two ages, the present age and the age to come. In the present age, this is the age that they knew themselves to be in, where the powers and the structures and the authorities all around them, even that what was going on even within them was, although not inherently bad, um, corrupted, corrupted by sin and by death because of the story of how Adam and Eve had fallen away from their call. But the coming age was the promised kingdom. This is the coming age of new creation. God was through his Messiah going to make all things new, where he was gonna overcome the power of sin and death once and for all. That all things were gonna become under God's loving reign to the point where shalom could be restored. Shalom, this deep, filled wholeness and peace where it would, there would be abundant, harmonious, and flourishing life. If you will, eternal life would be restored. So, Paul's asserting that because the Messiah has come, the coming age is already here, but just not fully yet. Think of it like the yeast in the dough where Jesus would teach about the kingdom of God working itself through dough over time. Christ followers seek to live under God's reign, where we resist evil powers, that are over us and among us and within us. And so this is where we pick up the flesh and spirit contrast in Romans 8. So think of this flesh and spirit as two ways of being in the world. Being in the flesh doesn't mean that your bodies are bad or that your bodily you know, desires for food or for drink, uh, for relationship are bad. What, it, what it's signifying is that to be in the flesh means to live in accordance with the present age rather than the age to come. Think of that as contrast. It is to be self-centered and self-oriented in your way of living, 
which at, is really at the root of all evil in the powers of the world. He's inviting his hearers to live in the spirit, to live in light of not the age, the present age, but the age that is already coming and still yet fully to come. And that is to live in the spirit, to be God-centered, to be other-centered in a way of living in the world. That's the way we were designed and intended to be. So what's the problem, right? What's the problem? Just do good, don't do bad, or at least let the good outweigh the bad and God might let you into heaven. No, that is conventional religion. That is moralism. That is a message of sin management. And my fear today as we look at this is that we might read into that the same way that it's so often misunderstood that God's saying, no, no, body bad, spirit good, just do good. Jesus is just a moral example for you and um, just be like him and pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. That is not what Paul is saying at all. And that older way of thinking, the story usually goes something like this. God made things perfect. He made a high moral bar. Uh, I don't see him today, but I had the privilege of having a conversation with Coach Jim a couple weeks ago. If you know Jim, he's kind of tall. He's a high jumper. You'll find that, that pretty quick. He coaches high jumping. Well, I think of Jim. Okay, Jim, make up, you jump high. Keep that high moral bar, right? If you can't jump the high moral bar, then you're out. And if someone doesn't jump that high moral bar for you, then you're out forever. So you better believe the right things about the good, the good high jumper, and then you're going to be okay. One theologian who's really helped me understand how distorted that is and how flattened that is, is uh, Tom Wright or N.T. Wright. And his book, The Day the Revolution Began, critiques that kind of medieval view of things where there's an angry God who just wants to see if somebody keeps the high moral bar or not. And um, it, it, it just absolutely distorts what Paul's trying to say here. So I wanna offer this as a frame, and I know this is a long introduction, but I wanna offer this as a frame. The Jewish story of creation actually goes like this. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. The earth is the temple, it's temple language. The cosmos is all of creation, that which is seen and unseen. The earth is the temple, and what do you do in the temple? After it's built, the last thing you do is you put in the middle of the temple, you put the image of the God that the temple is for. And that image of God is not just a status thing. Oh, isn't that great? Look, that's what the image is. No, that image has a role. It has a job. It has a function. That image is there to reflect back to all the rest of the temple and around the nature of what that God is like and to inspire and empower those to live in alignment with the nature of that God. That is called an image-bearing vocation. And Adam and Eve, as made in the image of God in the temple, which is earth, which is there to represent God and all of his glory, they were charged with this vocation of image-bearing. 
But what they did was they took that agency and they actually started to take the good things of creation and make them the main thing. And when we make the good thing the main thing, the biblical word for that is idolatry. And we like to think, well, you know, we don't make little carvings and put them in the corner and bow down and worship to them in our houses and things like that. And I would say, well, that may or may not be true, but I beg to differ. Idols are actually anything in creation, usually good things that we are willing to sacrifice everything for. There are loves in our lives that are wrongly ordered for the sake of our trying to grasp them for what they are rather than actually putting God first and having him rightly order those things in our lives. And when we do that with these idols, these created things, they enslave us and they bring death and they, they bring birth to sin because we actually give them that power. That's the Jewish story. That's the dilemma. And it's a dilemma that Paul describes in the chapter just before this where he says, we, I find myself doing the things I don't wanna do and I find myself not doing the things I do wanna do. Oh, Lord, help me. And this is where God says to him, oh, Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, what does this mean as we come to this passage? We need to be delivered and rescued from the power of our disordered loves. I'm gonna say that again. We need to be delivered and rescued from the power of our disordered loves. And that's not something that we can just will ourselves to. You can call them spiritual addictions if you like. This is why 12-step programs always teach that the first step is to surrender to the fact that we are powerless under X, Y, or Z, and that our lives have become unmanageable as a result. Now, who's gonna put that on a resume? But that's the entryway into the coming age, is to say, yes, like the Hebrew people in Egypt, I need to be, we need to be, frankly, rescued together out of that tyranny of slavery, and we need to be free to now re-engage and re-capitulate and reclaim our image-bearing vocation. So you might say, how does this relate to our text today? To which I'm gonna reply, in every way. In every way. Through Jesus, God has broken the power of sin and death and freed us from the tyranny of idolatry, which is really self-rule, to the promised land of adoption, which is God's loving reign. I'm gonna say that one more time. Through Jesus, God has broken the power of sin and death and freed us from the tyranny of idolatry, which is self-rule, to the promised land of adoption, which is God's loving reign. And that's not only good news for us, that's good news for all creation. And we're gonna look at that. It says here in verse 12, our obligation is not to the flesh to live according to it. Remember, again, he's not saying the flesh is bad. He's saying we are not obligated to live in the present age. As even Brian was saying earlier, we live in a culture that says it's all about acquiring new things, status, wealth, security. Listen, if you have a sense of um, honor in the culture, that's not a bad thing. But when you make that the main thing that you're living for, 
that's when you become enslaved to it. And so what Paul is saying is don't, don't live for those things. Recognize what they are and keep them rightly ordered in their right place. Live according to the Spirit. Live in the reality that the age to come has already begun. Verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Life in the Spirit is cooperation with and in the power of the Spirit. We don't will ourselves to be re, uh, fully reinstated image bearers. We can't will ourselves to Christ-like maturity. We actually surrender and we follow. And we do so by the power of the Spirit. That's where spiritual disciplines come in. If you're down at the bay, often you'll be able to see these beautiful sail, sailboats, right? And these sailboats, I mean, if they're not using their motors, if there's just a sailboat, what they do is they'll put their sail up and they put their sail up so that they're ri rightly positioned to catch the energy of the wind. But those sailors out there, they know that their job is not to create the power. Their job in the boat is designed to put themselves in a place where they can actually harness that power. And this is where spiritual disciplines or practices come in within a church. It's the spiritual disciplines and practices, whether it's um, solitude and silence or even community, prayer, all of these things are not things that make something happen. They're, they're things that actually put us in a disposition to be open to the work of the Spirit in our lives. That's what this is about. So when you gather this summer together over a meal, over coffee, some of the, like a bonfire apparently, which is cool, bring some s'mores, I guess. So he, whatever it is that you do this summer, recognize that the Spirit is at work in you and through you as you open yourself to Him. You're cooperating and aligning with what Paul's saying here about this age to come. You're cooperating with Christ. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. That could be unpacked for a whole year. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you uniquely and yet together collectively are, are unique representations of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creative manifestation. It means that God is restoring in you, and I mean individually and as a congregation, who you were created to be. Verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is central in the first part of this passage. Adoption is such a beautiful metaphor for the kingdom of God. A child that somehow does not have its parents needs to have uh, acceptance and community, belonging, identity, and empowerment. It is such a beautiful picture. And Paul is saying we are adopted literally to the point where the spirit affirms that we don't need to live in a spirit of fear. I don't know what you're seeing, but I think there's a lot of fear in our culture. And fear is a really dirty fuel. It burns not clean. It takes lots more energy. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. To live in the spirit is to actually live in the reality that the present age is fading and the coming age is dawning and you don't have to live under the tyranny of fear anymore. Isn't it wild to think that if we could live in the freedom 
of hope and love that that alone is so counterintuitive to so much in the culture today, people might say, how are you living on that fuel? This is what Paul's exhorting the church to understand. And Abba, Father, that, that is just, that's what a little Hebrew child, Abba, just like daddy. It's this intimate relationship with God. That's what God's inviting us to. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children, heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. This is where the joy and the radiance and the gladness and the energy and the liveliness of being in, in Christ is. And then this section here, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For this creation was subjected to frustration by, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Friends, to live on this beautiful but broken and in the process of being restored a temple, suffering is everywhere. Everywhere. And we know this. Much of it is on our televisions and on our, our screens, but we've experienced this suffering. This is why Paul, earlier in Romans, must have written, suffering produces perseverance, which I used to be a distance runner. That's not really always a lot of fun. <laughs> Perseverance, character, oh, lucky you, character development. That sounds like a pleasant process, right? But character, hope. And Paul says, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? Suff we as followers of Jesus, and this was Jesus's message, we have hope that suffering isn't the ultimate thing that we're trying to avoid. You can't live life and not suffer. You can't. No, it's that our suffering gets transformed into, into glory. Our suffering gets transformed, frankly, into hope. We become people, what they called in the first century, people of the way, the way, the way of Christ. And then lastly, in this section, it says... We know that the whole creation has been groaning and then it goes through with this idea of childbirth. I love what Eugene Peterson writes in his um, kind of paraphrase of scripture called The Message. Uh, Eugene Peterson, if you aren't familiar, was a, <laughs> probably one of the most introverted people ever in human history. Uh, but he actually planted a church and he noticed that the people in his church sometimes on Sunday morning weren't really listening in class. They'd be back in the back getting more coffee as he's trying to teach. And he said, I don't think they're understanding what the scripture's saying. So he started to actually just put it in more street vernacular and the people were riveted. And over many, many, many years, and then even after he retired, he ended up translating all the scriptures in modern day language. This is how he translate the, the end of our passage today, which I wanna share with you. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. 
The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the longer we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. We don't live by the headlines. We don't live by the tweets or the posts. We live underneath the canopy of God's loving but, res but revolutionary power of resurrection life. That's what we get to do and be. So this week, as members of our family have been recovering from COVID, I, uh, we got to see how at the end of the week, our nation, um, our nation's Supreme Court finally made its decision uh, to overturn um, Roe v. Wade. And there's no way to step into this topic without making somebody super angry. So we're not going to try. But I tried to read different reactions and opinions um, about, about this decision. And I came across this article. It was on CNN. And it was of a um, law professor at the University of Notre Dame. And I'm just going to read a portion of it. But I want to talk about this as an exhortation to live in the spirit means that probably you're going to be misunderstood no matter how you move forward. He says, most importantly, we must be charitable. We owe our fellow citizens with whom we disagree the respect of listening and trying our level best to understand their arguments, the goods that they hold most dear, the harms they most fear, and to try to internalize their perspective. When we characterize their arguments, we must do so accurately and in their strongest form such that our interlocutors would recognize their own tone and substance in our rendition. Said another way, we need to be so good at listening that we could say back to them what is most deeply dear to them so convincingly that they know that we know where they're coming from. There is no question in my mind that part of what the church's invitation in the spirit is in this season in this nation is to create spaces where we can actually listen to each other in such a way that recalls and reclaims and invites people to consider having the image-bearing vocation restored in them because we no longer live in the present age, but in the age that is coming and has already come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though we are weak, you are strong. And in you, all things hold together. Lord, there is much suffering in this world. There is much fear. And yet, Lord, this doesn't surprise us because it doesn't surprise you. 
Will you help us take to heart this exhortation by the Apostle Paul to live in the Spirit, to recognize, Lord, that you've given us your Spirit and that we're not obligated to live in this present age, to live according to the flesh. Lord, we want to thank you for that freedom. We thank you for that freedom. And we pray that you will teach us, that you will guide us, that you will empower us, Lord, and that you will continue to deliver us to live in the hope and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.